Tell him tonight, say, Jesus, here I am. <laughs> here I am. <laughs> here I am. Arms wide open. Jesus. So
nations Shine your light, let it bring salvation As I reflect to you all, let them see your face I will live, I will live, I will dwell on the
flood and got saved Since then I walk in forgiveness All of my guilt was erased The chains of the past are broken at last I got saved Oh, I got saved I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord I'm restored and made right He got a hold of my life I've got Jesus, how could I walk and tasted your grace I was so lost till I fell at the cross and got saved oh I got saved I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord I'm restored and made right He got a hold
Awesome to be with y'all and uh, to share in the things that I am confident that the Lord has given for us. So if you would turn with me, we will be in Amos chapter 1. I know that seems like a repeat from a couple weeks ago and the weeks before that, but I think we're going to be in Amos for a few more weeks because a few verses is about all we can bite off a week at this point. So last week we, we introduced the judgments on the nations. There are seven nations that Amos addresses with a judgment from the Lord before he gets to Israel. So a few things that we discussed last week that are, that are kind of a standard formula and structure that Amos is going to follow with each of his judgments um, against the cities and the nations that he'll speak against. And it's important for us to kind of remember these things because they're the makeup of what we'll read, and they're so important because Amos follows this for each nation. The first thing he says is, thus says the Lord, to introduce the word he will bring. 
he says, for three transgressions and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Next, he says, because. And he explains why the Lord will not turn back his punishment. Then he says that the Lord will send a fire upon that nation. And finally, he says, says the Lord, to bookend the Lord's message to that nation. We remember that thus says the Lord is a prophetic messenger formula to say that the hearer and reader should know that these words are not Amos's alone, but that they are God's and God's alone. For three transgressions and for four is a poetic device that the Hebrew language uses to express the full measure of transgressions and then some. So the sins of Gaza, who we'll study about tonight, were innumerable. There are six different, actually seven different Hebrew words that mean transgression or sin. The word here used is a graver understanding to mean revolt or rebellion. And finally, the significance of punishment used in these passages. In verse 6 from tonight, punishment is in italics, which is because it's not actually present in the Hebrew as a word, but it is implied by context and sentence structure. All translations in this verse, or for this verse, imply that the natural order to sin includes punishment. Sin does not just separate us from God, it makes us enemies. And so as we read these verses tonight, let us not grow callous each week because we've read them in a similar vein before, but let us understand the severity of God's word to Gaza, and I believe it's understanding for us. So tonight, as I said, we'll be studying about Gaza. Now if you're looking at a map, it is southeast, excuse me, southwest of Israel. And today this area is known as the Gaza Strip. It is still there. It's known as the Gaza Strip because its geographic shape is kind of like a small strip. Along with the West Bank, the Gaza Strip is under shared control between, between Israel and Palestine today. But in Amos' time, Gaza was a Philistine city. Philistia an empire had five city-states. So a city-state, as you think about Rome being uh, the representative city of a large nation, a large state, so to speak. So Philistia had five of these that you could read about in Joshua 13 if you'd like. They include Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, Gath, and Gaza. And if it's helpful, I'll name drought that Goliath was from Gath. So when we think of this great evil nation, we might think of Goliath, the enemy of God's people. So each of these city-states had its own lord or king. So this is the nation that we read about that is just southwest of Israel. So read with me. We'll read Amos chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Because they took captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. But I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza which shall devour its palaces. I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod and the one who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. 
I will turn my hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord God. So, in a similar fashion to Damascus, Amos gives this very specific accusation levied against Gaza for their crime, and he announces their punishment. It says that they came up to Israel, this is Gaza, and they delivered them over to Edom. So, God promised judgment to this city-states, to these city-states of Ashdod, Ashkelon, and Ekron, and that all, as it says in verse 8, the remnant of the Philistines shall perish. And they did. The reading in verse 6 is kind of awkward. It says that they took captive the whole captivity. This is because Gaza were known as a people for their battle methods. They would not merely conquer a nation and bring them under their fold. Instead, they would take a whole city or region of men, women, and children, and all of them would become prisoners. So this crime wasn't that Israel's soldiers had become POWs or prisoners of war. And as terrible as we think that might be, that is commonplace today and was commonplace then for those that were involved in battle to be taken into a camp and be made prisoner for a period of time. But this is different. For the Philistine soldiers used the opportunity to enslave whole populations of soldiers, citizens, men, women, and children. And so the crux of this judgment is in the second verse or excuse me, the second part of verse 6. Because they took captive the whole captivity, then to deliver them up to Edom. This actually meant that they sold them as slaves for commercial profit. So this people, Gaza, not only went into battle with the Israelites, but they took men, women, and children, and then sold them into slavery to another enemy nation, of Israel. So Gaza's crime was slavery and exploitation. When I had begun to study about Gaza, it was hard not to think of the parallels to this kind of evil that might be a little closer to our lifetime. Whole populations who have been deported under the guise of ethnic cleansing the segregation and discrimination of apartheid in South Africa, totalitarian regimes of the Soviet Union, Imperial Japan, and Nazi Germany. For situations like these, it seems and probably seemed like nothing short of divine intervention could bring liberation and justice and an end to that kind of evil. Amos tells us here, his message is that God's justice is at work in all history. God's time, in God's time, violence and oppression will not go on forever and not unchallenged. Now this is great to hear when we think about the evils of Adolf Hitler and many like him. That judgment would come to such people and such instruments of the enemy's evil. But God's judgment is equal 
to all who follow in such ways. So what does Gaza have to say to us tonight? Does this kind of evil exist near us? The message the Lord has for us tonight is rooted in the idea and meaning of exploitation. To exploit someone. In the Old Testament, there are two primary words that mean to exploit. And so we'll look at them both and we'll read some scriptures for them. The first word that that means to exploit is yana. And it means to rage or to be violent. To suppress, to maltreat, to destroy, to evict, to oppress or do wrong. Turn with me first, we'll go to Exodus chapter 22. If you're in the church's Bible, it will be on page 86. Exodus chapter 22. See, this word exploit seems so far-fetched from the people of God. It seems closer to those who would be thrown in prison for embezzlement or organized crime. But instructions about not exploiting are throughout God's scripture, especially in his law. We'll read in verse, excuse me, in chapter 22 of Exodus, verse 21. It says, you shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. The word for mistreat, your translation might say, is our word, yana, meaning to exploit. So we're told we are not to oppress or mistreat a stranger. A few things we should notice. First, our word for exploit, but who it is talking about, and that is a stranger. So we're not to exploit strangers, people who are sojourners or aliens in the land or people that are not of our own kind or not in our own group. It says, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. We're given an explanation of why we shouldn't exploit others. As if we need one, they are told, the Israelites, because they were strangers in the land of Egypt. Uses a word there in your translation that says for, that is the Hebrew word gar, which means because or on on account of. It is shoring up why God is giving this explanation. They should remember who they are. They are not just Israelites, but they are those who have been set free as strangers in the land of Egypt. Next, turn with me to Leviticus chapter 25. In the church's Bible, it will be on page 142. Leviticus 25. So in the middle of the law, in the middle of a section about the year of Jubilee, which is rarely fully celebrated by God's people, it says this in verse 14, 
And if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. So this is talking about business, about dealing, about selling. It uses the word oppress or exploit. And it talks about our neighbor this time. So last verse we talked about the stranger. But this is our neighbor. So someone in our community, somebody in our fold, somebody in the body of Christ, somebody that is close to us, we are told if we sell anything or buy anything that we should not exploit them. Now it will go on in great detail of what exploiting should mean, but we fully understand what that might mean as we are buying and selling from one another. We're not to take advantage Next, let's turn to Deuteronomy 23. In the church's Bible, it will be on page 228. Deuteronomy So we're reading in this verse about, about this word that means to exploit. In chapter 23, verse 16, it reads, actually let's read 15 and 16 please. You shall not give back to his master the slave who has escaped from his master to you. He may dwell with you in your midst in the place which he chooses within one of your gates. Wherever it seems best to him, you shall not oppress him. You shall not exploit him. Now this is a really interesting verse because it tells us that to exploit someone in this situation, to exploit not just any someone but a slave, would be to return a slave who has escaped their master back to their master. This seems really different from cheating somebody on the purchase or sale of an item. And I don't want to go into a lot of detail here because I believe that we can study on our own, but I want to offer a quick comment regarding slavery, especially in the case of the New Testament book Philemon. So if you're familiar with Philemon, this will make sense. And if you're not, I encourage you to read this week because it's a very short read. But Philemon was a new believer who was a fugitive from his master. He was a slave. He comes under the tutelage of Paul and Paul spends time with him and fellowship with him knowing that he is a slave. And Paul invests in this man and this man, Philemon, is converted to be a believer in Jesus. Paul instructs Philemon to return to his master Onesimus and request release. Now two things are very, very, and very important to understand this man Philemon who was a slave and who left his master and whom Paul did not immediately require to go back to him but instead he fellowshiped with him and trained him to follow Jesus. Two things. One is that Paul never com condemned Philemon for wrongdoing. Read that book cover to cover. Paul never condemned him for wrongdoing. And second, Philemon's master was a believer himself. Paul knew Onesimus or knew of him and knew that he was a believer. 
And so Paul's goal was that they were to be reconciled and for Onesimus to receive Philemon as a brother in Christ and no longer a slave. This is so important. Because if we don't understand this, then this verse that we're reading about over here in Deuteronomy seems completely wrong, completely misunderstandable, and that Scripture is not consistent. Many use this passage out of context, and many, many years ago, God's people used this to endorse slavery. Many take this out of context and misunderstand it to apply to all cases of slavery or workers and masters, and that is a false teaching. In the case of Deuteronomy, it uses the words, look there in in verse 16. It says, He may dwell in your midst, in the place he chooses within one of your gates. Excuse me. Um, what do I want to say here? Yeah, you shall not oppress him. It is talking about taking refuge in this person, which I am confident is referring to escaping an oppressive master physically or spiritually. And there is a distinction between escaping an oppressive master physically and spiritually and reconciling with a brother or sister in Christ. And this is, of course, consistent with God's deliverance for the Israelites from Egypt. The last verse we'll look at for this word is in Jeremiah 22. Jeremiah 22, if you're in the church's Bible, it will be on page 895. In Jeremiah 22, verse 3, Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, Execute judgment and righteousness and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong, do not exploit, and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this space. Do no wrong to the stranger, the fatherless, or the widow. Next word we're going we're gonna to talk about is the other word for... Exploit. It is the word a shock. And it means to press upon, to oppress, to defraud to violate, to burden, to cheat, to extort, or to do wrong. First scripture we should look at is in Leviticus 19. So if you would turn there with me, in the church's Bible on page 134, Leviticus 19. 
in Leviticus 19, verse 13, it says, You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. Deborah actually used this scripture several weeks ago and she talked about why it says night until morning and that's because their day began at night. And so the meaning is that one's wages should not be withheld from them the maximum amount of time. No need to hold someone's wages when they're owed that day. And if that's so, that it means that we would be robbing them. The word here, actually in the beginning of the verse, the word for cheat is what is meant to exploit. Next, let's read in Deuteronomy 24. We'll be on page 229 in the church's Bible. Deuteronomy 24. In Deuteronomy 24, verse 14, it reads, You shall not oppress or exploit a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. So here we're, we're told we are not to exploit a hired servant, someone who is working for us, who is poor or needy, whether they are a brother or an alien whether they are a friendly or they are somebody who is a stranger to us. Last scripture we'll look at for this word, a shock, is in Malachi chapter 3. We'll be on page 1106 or essentially the last pages of the Old Testament. So Malachi 3 and verse 5, Malachi says this, And I will come near with and I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against idolaters, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away from an alien. So this word exploit is mixed in. God's judgment through Malachi against those who practice sorcery, idol, excuse me, adultery, perjury, and against those who turn away from an alien. It says against those who are widows and orphans. So in these many verses that we've read, and I read, wanted to read all of these because we need to see that this isn't an isolated word. This isn't a word that is used infrequently. In fact, it is used several hundred times, each of these words, throughout the Old Testament. We see them in the law and we see them in the prophets. So in these many verses, we've got strangers, neighbors, slaves, foreigners, orphans, and widows. And there is not any distinction made between them. We're not told that we are to treat strangers one way and neighbors another. 
or orphans one way and slaves another. These words come from the law or the prophets, so they are either commands of God or prophecies on his behalf. In summary, we're told not to mistreat, cheat, oppress, or rob them. And in most of these cases, we're given the why. Either because they, God's people, were strangers in Egypt, or because God says, I am the Lord. And in all cases, we're to understand that the Lord will judge these who exploit others. So I know that these scriptures are heavy in and of themselves, and that they are a great challenge. So I want to share with you a few things that the Lord has laid on my heart. First, we cannot allow our country's situation, crises, or even our political views to shape our understanding of Scripture. Instead, we must allow Scripture and God's Holy Spirit to mold us and influence our perspectives and our actions in the world. So let's take one issue. The Texas border. I need not say another word for this to incite a myriad of opinions, what-ifs, becauses, and even the Bible says. I believe that this single issue even reflects the myriad of issues that face God's people. I believe that we must be reprogrammed. We've just read these great many scriptures that tell us a story that the Israelites were slaves delivered from violence and oppression and because of their own sin were even allowed to go back into that same environment. We live in America. To be American means to be from another country. My family's ancestry is German and English. Our nation was founded by those wanting to escape taxation and religious persecution. So to be an American means to have escaped those things. Yet, the church has become a people who have staunchly forgotten that bondage, slavery, and oppression are realities that our God strongly opposes. The way I know this I never hear grace, love, and purpose of, of God mentioned in a border conversation. I fear far too long we have allowed the church to be infiltrated by media, politics, and world affairs that seem to present to us one or maybe two options that we must believe and fold in to our biblical and spiritual understanding. We've been duped, tricked, and set up by the enemy. And as a result, pride, selfishness, and control reigns, and God's people are left out of His important work. And this doesn't mean that we cannot get a good deal on a new vehicle. 
nor does it mean that any person walking on the side of the road needs to be given our own vehicle. Or that I have the answer or explanation for the certain crisis that is at our border. But would we be willing for our hearts to be changed and to align with God's word and his ways? Exploitation is a spiritual condition like any other. Some have it severely and they commit massive atrocities. Others, maybe no one even knows or sees or hears about it. But it is all about our heart. We must see what causes a heart to justify any exploitation of others. We must seek to see others as our Father does, so we can love as He has loved us. Amen. see Jesus lifted high. I want to see Jesus lifted high. I want to see Jesus lifted high. Yes, I do. I want to see Jesus lifted high. I want to see Jesus lifted high. See Jesus lifted high. Oh, I 
You're the God of this city You're the King of these people You're the Lord of this nation You are You're the light in this darkness You're the hope to the hopeless You're the peace to the restless You are There is no one like our There is no one like our God For greater things have yet to come And greater things are still to be done in this city You're the God of this city You're the King of these people You're the Lord of this nation You are You're the light in this darkness You're the hope to the hopeless You're the peace to the restless You are There is no
No. Oh. 
here at your feet I lay my life down Tested and tasted your grace. 